0: Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Take your Bibles and open up to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And if you're using one of those, it's page 618. 618, I want to make sure that everyone has a copy of God's Word in front of them, because it's important you see that uh, the words we read are not my words, but the Lord's. As we come to Psalm 139 today... Uh, The main question that I want us to wrestle with this morning is simply this. When we consider God, we consider God, who He is, what He's done, what do we acknowledge, and how do we respond? we consider the Lord, the one that we worship, the one that we've sang these songs about this morning, only a holy God. There's one who's worthy of our praise. All of, when we consider this, what do we acknowledge about who He is, and then how do we respond in light of who He is? Uh, you say we're really prone and tempted to, A, have our own concept of who God is, and therefore become frustrated or disappointed when. The God of our making doesn't live up to our expectations or we're really prone to not have a concept of who God is at all uh, to not acknowledge who God is on a regular basis and therefore not do anything in response to who we believe God to be. And Psalm 139 paints this picture for us about who the God that we worship is and then ushers us into a place of response accordingly, not based on where we are, but rather based on who he is. And We've talked week after week through the series in the Psalms uh, about how the Psalms bring us back to a place of remembering who God is in every season that we face uh, And it resonates with us so much because there's not a single one of us in here that perpetually has a good season all the time. Every one of us goes through these mountaintops and then these deep valleys where we wrestle and struggle with even the concept at times of, does God exist at all? And we would be foolish to just shove that aside because we see in the very psalms that are a part of the inspired Word of God, the psalmist expressing these same desires and yearnings, these same challenges and struggles, where in one moment, I praise God for everything, and in the next, God, will you spurn forever and never again be faithful? You see, all of this details you and I's journey Of faith. If we're really seeking. And this is the question you have to answer this morning. Are you really seeking to follow the Lord? Because if you are. We we talk about this often. If I'm truly seeking after what the Lord desires. Then there should be a tension in me. Because I know that the desires of my flesh are against the desires of the Spirit of God. And if I sense that tension but do nothing about it, then I really need to wrestle with, who who do I follow? Who do I follow? But if you are uh, joint with us in struggle in the midst of this time, you are in good company. And so take heart, not in what we endure today, but rather in the God we worship In every season that we face when we consider God, what do we acknowledge and how do we respond? Psalm 139 is written as a psalm of David, as many of them are. And these psalms, if you didn't know this already, are songs that would have been sung, put to music in a way to worship the Lord, And so when we come to these words, think about the theological implications, the truth that is being communicated both to the individual who is singing it and to those who listen in resounding praise. It starts this way. "O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Now, in summation, these few verses here in verses one through six reveal this truth about who God is. God is omniscient. Now, that is a really big theological word for the the reality that God knows everything. God is all knowing. Everyone say he is all knowing. Now, when we stop and we think about this, there is a reality here that is both really positive and also should be a bit disconcerting to us. On the positive end of this, when we consider the reality that God is all-knowing, it means that God knows where you are in the depths of your being more than anyone else. You can have deep wounds and hurt and pain that nobody else truly knows about. Struggles and temptations and trials that nobody else is aware of. God knows. We take comfort and heart in the reality that in the midst of a world where everyone seems consumed by themselves. God knows each one. He recognizes the struggle with evil. He recognizes grief and hurt and anguish and pain and heartache. He knows. And in that, we can take heart that we serve a God who is not absent, but deeply involved and aware. The psalmist makes it clear that he knows when he sits up or when he sits down and when he rises up. Knows the very thoughts in his mind. Before he even speaks a word. The Lord knows it all together. He hems me in. Groups me in behind and before. And lays his hand upon me. Now you might look at that and go. What would be truly the negative of God being all knowing? Well it's the reality that. There is absolutely nothing that is hidden from God. And we see this in a couple of places. You you see this all throughout, but uh, I always find it laughable. In Genesis chapter 3, the first sin is committed and Adam and Eve are in the garden. And they they hear the footsteps of the Lord in the garden with them. And their first instinct is, I'm going to hide from God. And we laugh because we go, how ridiculous Do we have to be to think that we can hide from God? And yet, how many times in our life have we sought to hide from the Lord? Truly have We sought to kind of leave out a part of our life Or maybe, in fact, you have been frustrated with the Lord But when you get together with church family Or you get together with other people You're You're just great Someone asks you how you're doing at church. You know what? If I could, if I was any more blessed, I think there'd be two of me. Right? I, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm happy. Like, things are good. Things are great. And then you go home and you go, life is hard. And, you know, I haven't, I haven't really been in the word much because I'm just wrestling with whether, whether this is even true. Whether it's genuine, and we think that in so doing somehow that I, I don't know if it's that we have this concept that God lives in this church building. And so, man, you know, I come here, God, here, here you go. Uh, but I, I'm going to inform you, the Lord created everything. He, he's not confined to this space. And he knows all. And so Genesis three, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. How often do we hide from the Lord? And Hebrews 4 brings out this other reality. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So to recognize in this the first aspect of who is God, if we're asking this question, who is God? Uh, He is all knowing. There is no there is no thing you have done. The Lord has not seen. There is no thing done, whether in public or in secret, that the Lord does not know about. It even furthers the call on followers of Christ to carry out their worship and devotion to the Lord in secret. When Jesus talks about this in in the book of Matthew. And he says, when you pray, don't pray on the street corners where everyone is going to see you, but go into your room and shut the door and pray in secret. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The same is said about fasting. The same is said about giving and living a life of generosity. And the the, the point of it is, the Lord knows. And family, we can come here and try to fake it. You aren't faking anything before God. There is nothing hidden from his sight. And so what I like to tell people is, man, if you are struggling, then come to church and let's struggle together. If you're hurting, like, let's hurt together. If you're doubting, let's let's step into that together, because life is messy. And family, I hate I hate to say this, but a majority of the culture Wants nothing to do with who we are. Because so, for so long we have faked it. And, and, and we say... We, we, we come here and we say and we talk about... Things are great. And maybe they are. And I praise the Lord. We rejoice with those who rejoice too. But... We, we have a culture and a community around us... That genuinely is struggling with the reality of life. And apart from Christ... A community that has no eternal hope. And so as we back away from that. We go God knows all. So we we aren't fooling God. Let's just be honest. And let's be transparent. And there are many of you that have encountered me on a Sunday. Where I'm really struggling. And I'm going to tell you. And my desire in that is not to get your pity. It's for you to have an example of what it looks like. To genuinely know you can show up. Worship the Lord and be honest about who you are and where you're at. Because the Lord already knows. And in fact, He doesn't want your dressed up offering, He wants all that you have to bring. And sometimes, family, all you have to bring is a really small, lousy amount. The Lord knows that, and He just wants that. Give Him what's honest. He already knows. It it, it doesn't stop here, though, in verse seven. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So the the second attribute of who is God that we see in Psalm 139 is that God is omnipresent. So he's omniscient, he's all-knowing and omnipresent is uh, that God is present everywhere. He's all present. And the psalmist articulates this and asks a rhetorical question. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? And the answer to that is nowhere. Everyone say nowhere. Okay? In the same way that you can do nothing that God doesn't already know, you can go nowhere that God isn't already there. And he goes on to describe this, the highest heights, if I ascend to heaven, he's there, the lowest of lows, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. I take the wings in the morning and the skies above or in the depths of the sea, even there the hand of the Lord leads me. I can't even go anywhere in the darkness where God is not there. And I love, I love this phrase in verse 12. Even the darkness is not dark to you. For the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. What does that imply? Even when we can't see clearly, God does. Even when we cannot see, God sees clearly. He is not blinded by the darkness. Nor is he hindered from accomplishing his purposes. Because even the darkness is light in his presence. There is nowhere we can go. That the presence of the Lord. Is not there. Now one reality of this. That we have to wrestle with. Is the reality that. Uh, when we think about God and our concept of God, we tend to think in terms of uh, the love of God because that's our favorite thing to think about. And it's, it's the, the message that is easiest to communicate. It is not hard to communicate with anybody. God loves you. But the other side of that is there may be places that we put ourselves where you encountering the presence of God is you encountering his judgment. Because God will not stand for wickedness and sinfulness. As so we have to wrestle with that and go, okay, in the midst of what's going on, what am I encountering in the characteristics of the Lord? Now, the, the even Clearer truth is you can't just separate out pieces of God's character. God's not multiple personalities where he's uh, uh, wrathful, judgmental over here and he's loving over here. And so you got to be careful not to make God mad. No, and all of this, even God's judgment, God's discipline, God's wrath is still the greatest, most loving thing that God could possibly do. How do we know that? Because 1 John says God is the very definition of love. And I always tell people that does not mean that God is just loving. It is that God is in fact, in and of himself, fully, completely, entirely love. The very definition of it. There is nowhere I can go where I can escape the presence of God. Very, the very creation around us. Reveals the presence of God That's what Psalm 19 says All creation declares the glory of the Lord The skies proclaim His handiwork God is omnipresent Verse 13 It says For you formed my inward parts You knitted me together in my mother's womb I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made Wonderful are your works My soul knows it very well My frame was not hidden from you When I was being made in secret Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written. Every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. What what attribute of God do we see here is that God is the creator and the definer of life. God is the creator and the definer of life recognize here that the Lord, recon- the Lord knew and formed before there was even days in their life. Your eyes, verse 16, saw my unformed substance and in your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Before each one of you was even a thought. The Lord knew you. The Lord is the creator and the definer of life. This is the reason, church family, why we take such a strong stance on being pro-life. It has nothing to do With our own political opinions and everything to do with the word of God. To simply answer the question, do we believe that God is the creator and definer of life or not? And we would say absolutely according to what he says. The psalmist goes, the Lord formed me. He's woven and knitted me together. How many of you, I'm curious, how many of you knit or crochet or have in the past? that impresses me to no end. Okay? And and the creations that could come about from that, but the thing that impresses me most is the level of patience it takes to do it. I do not have that level of patience. And you start with just this ball of yarn and a couple of needles and... Hours and hours and hours and there's a there's a vision in the head in the mind of the person who's doing that and the time committed to actually form something That's useful I would end up with another ball of yarn Okay (laughs) That would not unroll at all but in the same, the imagery here—that's what I'm trying to get you to see. The Lord intricately knit each one in the mother's womb. Praise God. And we and we look. We talked about this in our Sunday school class this morning. The unique fingerprint of every person reveals the diversity of God's masterpiece. Every. Part and every person encapsulates the whole of the Creator. What a magical miracle that life is. God is the Creator and the Definer of life. Now in verse 17, there's a shift here to some personal thoughts in light of who God is. Verse 17, how precious, how precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God? How vast is the sum of them? If I would count them, they are more than the sand. <clears throat> I awake and I am still with you. Now, alright. I need a volunteer to uh someone who's who's a little bit older, kids, no offense, but I want I want someone who's a little a little wiser. Okay? Alright. I just Well, some might be, but, you know, just I just need someone to come up here. Bill? All right. I'm going to grab you a chair, because you might be up here a little bit. All right. Here you go. Have a seat. I'm not going to grill you. Here's a glass. And this is a picture of sand. Here's some tweezers. (laughs) And for a little bit here, I would just like you to count some grains of sand, please. Okay. (laughs) Good luck. Now, I want you to stop and I want you to think about something. In the midst of just the short time we've been here and we've uncovered and sought to talk about who is God. And we go back to this place even in uh, verse verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The knowledge of God. the God's uh, being all knowing in the midst of this. And then the psalmist makes this statement. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. To stop and just for a moment comprehend or seek to comprehend just what God is in a fullness of his being so much so that every person, every thought, every intention just in this room, the scope of knowledge and the weight of that, the sheer vast volume of understanding that God has. And we stop, we, we come to this point, And the reason this is so important for us to realize is because you and I, in the midst of our own flesh, are some of the people who are most prone to look at God and say, God, what were you thinking? And yet the psalmist comes back to this place of going, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. If I'm if I'm going to count this the vast sum of God's thoughts and God's intentions about God's purposes and who He is and what He's done and all of the scope of this if I'm going to total all of that the description is uh, if I would count them they are more than the sand. How many are you at? Twelve. Twelve. <laughs> now in the scope of this I brought a single. Picture of sand. And the psalmist would have been describing the very sands that bordered the waters of the world. The very breadth and scope of that. I could have Bill up here for years (laughs) counting these grains of sand in one picture. Who are we? To think that we could question or doubt what the Lord is doing. Who are we to say, God, I think you got this one wrong. I can't even get through a pitcher of sand. And the Lord knows all. He knows all. I'm not going to make you keep counting. No, thank you. In our concept... Of who God is, when we consider who God is, what do we acknowledge and how do we respond, church family? How do we respond? Verses 19 through 22. You see a desire for justice in the psalmist. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now, it's interesting in this, if we're to define kind of what this is, in theological terms, it's referred to as uh, an imprecatory psalm. And that's just a fancy word for uh, the psalmist's desire to see justice done. And we resonate with that. But notice something about this. The psalmist, nowhere in the midst of his yearning for God to carry out justice, he does not bring about revenge of his own doing. Nowhere does he say that he is going to take matters into his own hands. And what it reveals about God's character is God is the only righteous judge. We see this even further defined in Romans 12. Now, in the midst of this, it's important that we recognize God in his all knowing nature, in his all present nature. There is nothing hidden from the sight of the Lord that includes in relation to our enemies. So why would God call us not to be the ones to take vengeance into our own hands? Because God sees way more than you do. And you might sit there and you go, when, Lord, how long, Lord, and in that you would be in good company. Revelation 6, we see that the martyrs, those who've been killed for the word of God, they cry out and they say, How long, Lord, until you strike down those who have struck us down? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering On the earth. But he has called us not to take vengeance. But to trust and know. He sees all things. He knows all things. He's the one who formed the very life. That is taken advantage of. He will bring all things into justice. But he will do it in his time. So in light of this. When we consider God What do we acknowledge And how do we respond I want you to think one more time About this illustration with the sand And to stop and consider the God Whose thoughts can only be described as Being numbered greater Than the sand of the earth in the midst of his holiness and his righteousness, that he would make a way for you and I to be with him. To stop and consider the God who nothing is hidden from his sight. And when we look at our lives and we truly get down to what is at the core of this, I don't deserve to be with God at all. Who am I? That he is mindful of me. I I know. Him. And yet. In Christ. There is salvation. In Christ there is forgiveness. In Christ there is transformation. And newness of life. That we no longer have to walk in the ways of our flesh. But can walk in the spirit of God. Free from the bondage that sin creates. Who are we that God would care for us in this way? Only a holy God. Only a loving God. Only a just God. Which is exactly why Jesus gave his life. And so the question becomes, in light of these truths, and in light of what we know the gospel to be, that whoever believes in the name of Jesus will be saved, how will we respond? The last two verses of this text sum up how we should respond. And so I'm going to have the worship team come. And in so doing, I want you to pause and evaluate who you have seen God to be up until now. To stop and consider how you have responded to who God is up until now but then to reflect on these words that we're going to read together in a moment and consider what might God be moving you towards today. How do you walk in a holiness that God has called us to, that is only available through Christ? How do we as the church walk in obedience in light of who God is and what He has called us to as His people? How do we together navigate The tumultuous waters that exist around us, knowing that none of it stresses or scares the Lord. How do we come to him in worship? So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I want us to pray this together. And then we're going to sing in recognition of how great God is. As we prepare to step into a world that desperately needs to know there is hope in Christ. Let's read this together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Father, we recognize that apart from Christ. We are prone to focus solely on our flesh. Father, may you reveal to us today that which hinders us from walking faithfully, that which gets in the way of us simply walking in the way that is righteous and true and everlasting. Reveal wicked ways in us that we might walk in repentance and faithfully pursue that which you've called us to. Lord, make us more and more like Jesus, I pray in his name. Amen.